Well, good morning. It is good to see y'all here this morning. Get situated up here. <clears throat> Tell you what, I uh, underestimated how cold it was still going to be today, to be honest with you. Uh, it's like, no, I don't need a jacket. I, don't, I wish I would have wore one. Anyway, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20, the Gospel of John uh, chapter 20. Uh, and as you're flipping there, uh, I do want uh, to, I want to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I didn't ask you to flip there. It's going to come up on the screen, though. Uh, just to kind of bring us back up to speed, today we will be wrapping up, finishing up the series that we've been in uh, over the past few weeks, uh, really of, of really just realigning ourselves, uh, putting the, uh, the horse back in front of the carriage, uh, if you will, uh, as far as who we are as a church and why we do church and uh, things like that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is going to come up on the screen. I want to read verses 1 through 11. We have been hanging out really in just, just the first four verses, but... Uh, uh, I want to read the, these, these 11 verses. This is what we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, uh, of the gospel I preached. If you mark in your Bibles or make notes, uh, just mark preached there. So I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, uh, and which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. There's that word preached is again. Unless you believed in vain. For I delivered, which is another way of saying preached, I delivered to, uh, to you as of first importance that which I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. Uh, and to the apostles, last of all, as one uh, untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And I love this, verse 11, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you Believed. May God read, bless the reading of his word. Over the past few weeks, like I've said, we have talked about kind of who we are as a church and this gospel-driven idea. So this morning, I want to begin to try to maybe answer some of the questions uh, that are coming up in your mind. I can't answer them all because I don't have them all, uh, but I do have some. And I do maybe think of some questions that for some of you may be asking questions, uh, something like this. It seems like all we've done is talk about us. Us as the church, all we've talked about is our, our Sunday mornings and our community and our discipleship. So uh, maybe this morning you have questions, well, what about the outsider? Are we called to reach them? Isn't that the whole purpose of the church, the, the Great Commission? Isn't that what we're called to do? Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
So this morning, what I want to do starting off is to see how Christ did that. How did Christ come to seek and save the lost? And then how does he continue to do that? How does he, what is his plan to do that now? So first of all, whenever Jesus says the son of man came to seek and save the lost, how did God, the son of man, how did he seek and save the lost? First of all, the incarnation. He became man. Uh, he took on flesh. Uh, he, he was a perfect God-man. John says he came and dwelt among them, that he came to the, if you read the message, uh, it's not a translation, but it says he dwelt in their neighborhoods. He, he came to where they were, that in the incarnation, first of all, the way that Jesus came to seek and save the lost is that he took on flesh, uh, that he, he took on the human nature, but not only that, but he lived. He lived a life. And and in this life, he lived a representative life for, for on behalf of mankind. He lived a life that we couldn't live. And that's the good, one of the good news about the gospel is that the righteous demands of the law to be fulfilled through obedience, perfect obedience, Jesus fulfills on, the, on, the, on behalf of those who he came to seek and to save. So he, he came to seek and to save uh, through his incarnation, through his life, and through his death. We understand that we saying this morning that there's a fountain there, and that the blood of Jesus, it makes us new, and it, it redeems us. It's the blood of Jesus that, that, that justifies the sinner, and he bore the wrath of God. Not only did he live a representative life, but he died a substitutionary death. He, he died upon, a, he died a death that should have been ours. But he also was resurrected. So how did Jesus come to seek and save the lost? He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death. But thanks be to God, he defeated the grave. That God the Father raised him up. So that's how Jesus, the God-man, came to seek and save the law. So here's the next question. How does Jesus now, what is his plan, what is his tactic, if you will, to seek and save the lost? Because he's already came, and he's lived, and he's died, and he's resurrected, and he's ascended. And the answer to that question is through his church. Through his body in John chapter 20. I think I told you to flip there. John chapter 20, this is after the resurrection, and I'm just going to make really one point uh, to this passage, and then at the end of the, the sermon today, we'll get back to it, but in, in John chapter 20, this is uh, the disciples' first interaction with the resurrected Lord. They had heard that he had been resurrected, but they weren't, you know, weren't really sure, and things, uh, things like that were going on, uh, but anyway, so in verse 19 in chapter 20, this is what uh, the scripture reads this what John records. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And check out verse 21. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Check this. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So how did Jesus come to seek and save the lost? Obviously, we don't, we don't live a, a representative life, but we have that model. The way that the God the Father sent Jesus into the world to seek and save the lost, now Jesus sends his church into the world to seek and save the lost. 
Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost through his church by sending his, the church just as the Father had sent him. He's not just keeping, seeking and keeping the found. He is still seeking and saving the lost. And I, would need to, I want to just make myself abundantly clear this morning. I 100% understand this, and not for a moment in this direction of we're going to a cross point. With cross point, am I advocating for cross point to become a place that is not, that is not hospitable or welcoming to the outsider? I understand the commission, the great commission, and nothing I've talked about so far, I do not want to relate the image that outsiders are not welcome here. I'm not, listen to me, and the reason why is not, it's, it's even more than biblical. You know why? Because I was the outsider. I didn't grow up in church. I was the kid that, that went to maybe AVBS when he was a kid and didn't hear the gospel until he was, until he was 13 years old, living up in Jones, living, living in Laurel, Mississippi. I was the outsider. I was the one I remember very, I, I, I was the one that was embarrassed one time whenever I was at church and the pastor said, turn to the book of Revelation. And I looked to my church buddy and said, hey, where's the book of Revelation? And he laughed at me and said, it's the last book of the Bible, you idiot. So not for a moment, just from a pastor's heart, do we ever have to worry about this place not concern, being concerned about those who don't know the Lord? Just from a, a personal level. But as I've thought about how God has worked in my life and has converted and discipled and transformed my life, I began to ask the question, you know, we want to be appropriately sensitive. We want to have a, a church that honors God and the way that we worship and the way that we take the Great Commission serious to make disciples. We want to be serious about those things. And I began thinking through, obviously, if you haven't picked up this morning, this, this sermon is going to be on how the gospel drives our mission as a church. If you haven't quite picked up on that yet, that's what I should have told you the title. I failed preaching class already, but I don't have a title, but that's the thing. But I began to think about what was it that obviously the gospel, uh, God gave me a new heart in the gospel, but, but what, what actually like, like won my imagination? What, what does a lost, an outsider actually need to see? That's the question I'm trying to ask in a church. Because the reality is, I think we're told today, definitely in the church world and a pragmatic approach to church is to present the most watered down, melted down version of what it means to be a believer. But what I think scripturally and personally with my own life, what an outsider needs to see is the church being the church, the way that God has designed for the church to be. An outsider needs to see the church take communion and needs to see the church lift up their hands and, and worship a God. An outsider needs to hear the saints pray, to be fully immersed to what, it, to what the, they need to see something different than, than what's out there. They need to see what the people of God are actually are and are called to be. Uh, and so really, when we talk about being gospel driven and doing things that how God has designed and being gospel centered in all we do and actually being the church when the church comes together, that is the greatest thing we can do for an outsider. Because what I understand is the gospel, we talk about unity, the gospel is the most unifying message in all humanity. 
but it's also the most dividing message at the same time. It is unifying. It, it makes people one, but at the same time, it draws a line in the sand and says, choose whom you will this day serve. It is, it is, it is all welcoming, and it is, it is unifying, but it's also dividing. The church is the most inclusive institution on the face of the earth. Anybody, anywhere can come and be a part of God's church. But it's also the most exclusive in a sense that it requires faith in Jesus. And I want to make sure that as we are doing church, we do church in a certain way that those who may not are part of God's church don't have any sense of false security because they're connected to cross point, but not connected to God's kingdom. Does that make any sense at all? That, that, that's why we're drawing a line. Butch, thank you for speaking loud up there. That's why we're drawing a line in the sand because in, in today's age in church, if you will, it's very easy to be a part of a church locally but not be a part of God's kingdom. Matter of fact, I would argue that right here in South Mississippi, this is church buildings, churches on Sunday mornings are some of the saddest places there is because... We have people who, who come to church. Now, I'm not just saying cross point. I'm saying as church as a whole, who are connected to a local church, and that is their source of assurance. And so I think it's appropriate for us as a church, whenever we gather together as a church, we do things the way that God has designed for the church to do because one, one thing that we do have about outsiders that, that, that Paul writes is to be extremely clear in everything that you do. So if we're clear, then we're making sure that we are not fostering an environment for people to have false senses of security. Does that make any sense? That may be a little harsh, and, but I do not apologize for it. But that is the aim. Why does the church exist? If I had to just boil this down, and this is on our website, and as far as in our mission and vision, we don't talk about it much, but starting today we will. The church exists for God's glory and for God's mission. That's why the church exists. Why does Cross Point Church exist? We exist for God's glory and God's mission. Ultimately, for God's glory and God's mission. We say that we, we exist for God's glory by having gospel-centered worship and gospel-centered teaching and gospel-centered community and gospel-centered giving because where is the glory of God seen most clearly? It is in the gospel. God is most glorified in the gospel, so we want everything we do to be gospel-driven. When we gather as a church, it is for God's glory. 
As John Piper says, God is glorified most in us when we are most satisfied in him. We will, then that's the, that's the direction of this being gospel driven is not just to have an exciting Sunday morning, but have a, have a church, have a system, if you will, in place that aids in God getting the glory. And if he gets most glory out of my life, when I find my greatest satisfaction in him, but that's what this place needs to be, is to be a disciple and developing believers that we ultimately find our greatest satisfaction in who God is. And so that's the aim. We exist for God's glory. When we gather, we gather for God's glory, but when we scatter, we scatter for God's mission. When we scatter, we Scattered for God's mission, God is glorified when others see his glory through us and the gospel that we preach. Still, Justin, why are all the talks about us? You spent five weeks or so talking about us, and you're only going to give us one Sunday about them. This is why. I'm reminding us, I've spent five weeks reminding us of the gospel and what it has done and its implications to remind to remind us what we actually rally around here at Crosspoint. I'm putting the, like I said, the horse back before the cart. And my aim this morning and in this series in the direction of the church is not to divide us, but to unite us. We're talking about, talking about church polity and different structures. Listen to me. The number one goal of where we're headed is a unified body. Not a divided body, not just a structured body, but a unified body. I want to remind us of what unites us, not our styles or our preferences, not our stories, not where we come from, but it is the gospel that unites us. And we rally around the gospel. In John chapter 17, verses 20 and 23, this is why it's so important to be unified and how unity around the gospel connects to our mission. Because verse 20 of chapter 17 of John says, I do not ask for these only. This is Jesus praying. He said, I do not ask for these only, that being his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Pause for a moment. Did you know, child of God, that when Jesus prayed in the garden, he prayed for you? And he prayed for you, he says, I do not ask for these only, being the 12 or the 11 that were still there and, and those who had believed who were not disciples, if you will. But I also pray for all those, all the ones who will hear about me, all those who will come to faith in me. I'm praying for them. What did Jesus pray for for us when he was in the garden? He prayed this, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, or in me and I in you, and as that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that we may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Why is gospel unity? Important. Why are we focusing on the gathering? Why is this important? Because ultimately, our unity is our greatest evangelistic tool. Obviously, this, the gospel, the preaching of the gospel is what changes hearts. But Jesus prays that through their unity, through them being one, that the, the world will know that you have sent me.
We've been focusing on the gathering of the body of Christ and its purpose. But the reality is that's only one front of the church. That is the church gathering this morning. I want to begin to look at the church going. But I want you to see this morning before we move any forward is that God seeks and saves the lost through his church by sending his church in the same manner the Father sent him. We understand that. That's elementary, right? So here begins the question in my mind is, so how do we prepare our people to live every day confidently, sent as missionaries, not as individual journeymen? If God's mission, if Jesus' mission is to seek and save the lost, and the way that he is doing that is now sending his people the same way the Father sent him in the same manner, well, how do we prepare people to live every day as confident, sent missionaries. First of all, we have to take inventory. Here comes the hard part. Now, nothing's been hard yet. This is the hard part. I told you this over and over again over the past few weeks, um, that getting healthy this way takes a lot of courage, not just from the pastor, but for the, for the church, to, to do, want to do things the way that the Bible calls us to do, and not saying that we haven't been, but if there are things that in, in our lives individually or corporately, it takes courage to go to those things and say, hey, we're missing the mark here. Right? And so there really, the, I said a few, these three things a few times. Uh, this type of thing, it requires a deep measurements to a place that only grace can take us. Getting healthy this way that we've been talking about uh, requires being empowered. The only the way that only grace can empower us. And the third reason why this is difficult is because applying these marks of health requires a courageous self-evaluation through which only grace can secure us. And so here's questions that I began to ask. Here's self-evaluation. This is not to be guilt-driven. It's meant for the reality of the situation. It's including me. If God is seeking and saving the lost by sending his church as the way the Father sent the Son, then how come we do not see many more converts on a yearly basis or monthly basis, a weekly basis? Is it bad preaching? Is it poor leadership? Could be both of those. I'm not saying that those are not part of the equation. Are we actually becoming the kingdom catalyst that we say we desire for us, our people, to be? And even more, if, if the mission, if the call of every believer is to join God's mission in seeking the saving the lost, and an even more practical question I'm asking myself is, how many gospel-driven conversations or relationships do I have? outside of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we good at building relationships but not getting to the point of introducing Jesus? Have we boiled down this mission of being sent for the saving of the, or seeking in the saving of the lost, have we boiled it down to to less actually going out and being sent on mission and more about inviting lost friends to church on Sunday morning, which isn't a bad thing, by the way. I want to make myself abundant. Keep inviting people. 
That's why we want to be gospel-driven. But is that the totality of what Jesus meant when he said, as the Father sent me, I saw I'm sending you. Whose job is it to evangelize? The preacher or the believer? Who has Jesus sent? This mission that we see when Jesus says, as I'm sending, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you is greater, I believe, what we'll see as we, by the way, if you want all the answers in one sermon, that's not possible. This is a progressive thing, by the way. So, if, man, Justin's leaving me hanging. Well, maybe I'll talk about it next week or the week after. Or maybe I'll talk about it six months from now. Uh, so don't, I can't give you everything at once, but this mission is greater than just an invitation to come to see. Scripture says, Jesus says, that we are sent into this world just as the Father sent Jesus. How did Jesus do this? I've talked about this already. He lived among them. He came in grace and he came in in truth. He built relationships. He preached repentance and the forgiveness of sins. He preached the kingdom that was at hand. If this is how Jesus was sent, and then he says, we are sent in the same manner. And here's the good news about being gospel-driven is that the gospel-driven church will be turned inside out because when the gospel is rightly grasped, it compels the church to join in God's mission. That whenever the gospel is being presented, then it naturally, when it is grasped correctly, it compels the heart of the church, the people of the church to connect to God and his mission. The gospel's too good to keep to ourselves. When we look at the early church, and also I wanted to differentiate between, when I say church, I'm not just talking about our Sunday morning service. This is our church's worship service. When I say the church, it expounds way past that, right? Like there's, this is just a small facet of church life. When you look at the early church, this, the church existed almost like a missional outpost. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a military man, but I know when you think about outposts and, and foreign lands, there's this place of protection, a place of safety. If this is a military outpost, the only outpost I can think of is uh, Okotoma uh, outpost when you go uh, kayaking and canoeing, right? And so here's my best way to illustrate that through kayaking. Uh, every time you go, if you haven't been, you if you if you use uh, this one, what's this one called? The the red and the maybe it's Okotoma Outdoor Post. I don't. Anyway, so uh, you you show up at the place and there you can buy go ahead and buy some drinks and snacks and things like that. You try to fuel up before you go hit the rapids of the Okotoma. You know what I mean? The wild and crazy times. Usually you spend your time walking in ankle deep water more than you do dra uh, actually floating. Uh, but you get to these falls and things like that. And I remember very early on, 
uh, me and my buddy were like, we're going to do the, you know, the whole thing. You know, there's the halfway point that you can get checked out. Uh, and I remember that first day, we didn't know any better. That we, so we got canoes. Uh, we, since then, I've only got a kayak. So even as a youth pastor, if I had a kid who couldn't swim, and he was like, hey, I need a canoe. I was like, you're just going to drown. I'm going to kayak. Uh, uh, but anyway, and so I remember that first time we were, I, I didn't say that, but I would have just got, paired him up with somebody else because I was not going to get in a canoe. Those things are heavy when they fill up with water. Anyway, they're always bottom out. Anyway, I remember getting in the in Okotoma the first time. We're going to do the whole thing and getting to that halfway point. I'm like, I'm so exhausted. And that bus finally gets there. You're like, yes, it's time to go. And I remember as like youth pastor, I'd have like 30, 40, 50 kids sometimes on this thing. And we would get there and that bus would come and it would take us back to the outpost. Like we saw that bus coming and then we'd get back to that outpost. And I'd be like, I'm so thirsty. I'm so tired. I'm dirty. I've got sand everywhere. They've got showers. You can clean up. You can, you can refresh yourself, if you will. There was this outpost that I looked so forward to get to because I was tired. And also, man, we get to go home soon. Right? You follow me. And I said, I know that's a lighthearted illustration of an outpost, but when you look at the early church, that's kind of how they saw their worship service. It was during the week, man, they have been Kayak and Okatoma, if you will. They've been doing the work of the ministry and they've gotten sandy and they've gotten dirty. The world is a dirty place and it, it, they've gotten dirty and they're tired. And then they would meet together as a body so that there would be encouragement, that they could sing songs of praise with one another. They could listen to the apostles' teaching. It was a place of refreshing and rejuvenating when the church gathered together. When you look at Paul and the missionaries through the book of Acts and his letters to Timothy, you see this desire. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered me. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming. Is it, is it not you for your glory and joy? In 2 Timothy, he writes one, in 1 4, he says, as, you, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. There's this picture that as you look at the New Testament church, when they gathered together, it was because they were weary and tired. And look, the, the, the prime example of that, if you look at, this is shortly after Pentecost. This is after Peter and John are walking to the temple. They, they heal a lame man. He gets up and walks, and then, and then Peter and John get arrested, and uh, they tell him, hey, you got to stop preaching Jesus, if you will. I don't care about you healing people, per se. Just quit, quit, quit saying Jesus did it. And then it says shortly after that, where did they go? They went to their brothers. They went and found their brothers and sisters in Christ. They went to them, and there they, they began to pray, pray for boldness, not for pray for As a matter of fact, it says, Lord, look at their threats. He was just saying, hey, look, look at the situation. But they, they gathered together because that's how they operated when they gathered. The local church is a missional outpost, a place of spiritual refuge, of doctrinal education and ministry equipping. And here's something that I truly believe, and I believe that it will be played out 
in the midst of our church life is that the gospel simultaneously grows our love for the church and our love for the outsider. We don't have to pin those two against one another. We don't have to. Because the gospel simultaneously does both. To say it another way, the gospel grows our love for God's glory and it connects us to God's mission. The more gospel we get, the more glory we see, the more love for God's glory is wound up within us. And you know how God is most glorified? Obviously when we're satisfied in him, but when others glorify God as well. So the gospel grows our love for God's glory and it also connects us to God's mission because God's glory, God's mission is his own glory. So we see two fronts of the local church and here's two ways that you can look at it. First of all, there's the gathering. We can call that a people in place. There's a, there's a day of the week set aside each week where the, we're a people in place. We gather to worship with one another, to pray for one another, to lift up the name of Jesus together, to, to, to remind each other of the gospel. There, first of all, there's the gathering. And number two, there's the going. That's the two faces, the two fronts of the local church. It's the, the gathering, there are people in place, and then the going, we become people in places. And so, I want you to see in, in the paradigm of building churches around the needs of outsiders is a philosophy of that, that kind of permeates through our culture today. This is what that philosophy of ministry says, that it's the law seeking God through his church. That if we build a place, then there will be seekers who come in and we're going to build a place for seekers and the world works, that there are people out there seeking God. They just need a place to be able to do it. So let's provide that place so the seeker can find God, which isn't completely bad, by the way. We want to be appropriately seeker-sensitive, if you will. But the, primarily, unbelievers are not seeking God. Now, there may be a few who are seeking God, and they look to the church for some spiritual guidance, and that's maybe built through some relationships and things like that. I understand that. But for the most part, men don't seek God. Psalm 14, 2, my favorite, my life-changing verse in, my, in, the, in the Bible. I'll read two for you first, and then I'll read three. Before, Psalm 14, 2 says, the Lord looks down from heaven. Don't read ahead with me. But the, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are anyone who understands who seek after God. Great news. And then verse 3 says, they have all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The reality is, is that we don't seek God. Biblically, that ministry paradigm is turned inside out. And what we see is that it is God, through the sending of his church, that seeks the lost. Not the other way around. It's not the, the seeker going to the church to find God. It is God, through the church, finding the, seeker, or the lost. So, where does he send us? He gives us families. He gives us occupations. 
We go to school in places. Our kids play on sports teams and are part of bands. And they're a part of every day, every part of our life. Where you are, who you are with, that is where God has sent his church. As the, that's, how, that's where Jesus has sent his church as the Father has sent him. Where you live, what you do, what I do, that's where he has sent us. We're not asking him to join our plans. He's inviting us to join in his The early church saw the church service and the work of the church on two fronts. The church service existed for rest and rejuvenation. It was welcoming and appropriately sensitive for the outsider. But they viewed the work of evangelism and mission taking place outside the walls. Look at the book of Acts. Look, uh, they'd gather and then they would do the work and then they would regather again and then they would do the work of the ministry and do evangelism and mission and they would get together and they would pray and they would sing and there'd be boldness that wounds up within them and then they would send somebody out to do the work of the mission. The, the experience of church wasn't limited to the worship service. Rather, the church was the central, it was central to their identity. The experience of the church encompassed their everyday lives. Evangelism was, was less, it, was, it, was, it became less of a, of a church event and more about mobilizing through the church's way of life. Ultimately, what I believe and where I want us to head is that the church exists to be a sender of missionaries into our culture. Matthew 4, Jesus says, gives the imagery of being fishers of men. What we've seen over the past few weeks is that community is a response to the gospel, but I would also add that mission is a response to the gospel. John chapter 20. If you feel discouraged this morning in any capacity, I want to encourage you, child of God, that he has equipped you to do what he's called you to do. John chapter 20. The setting, like I said, John tells us that the disciples were locked up in a room because they were fearful. Jesus comes in and speaks peace. And then he, he, he speaks peace to them and then he commissions them. So what I want to do with just a few minutes is I want to tell you there, there, the three things that were present in this room. Number one, the disciples were there. The disciples were in this room. Disciples are people who had followed Jesus. Some of these disciples had made horrendous train wrecks of their faith at this point. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll talk, we'll see Peter towards the end and the one who denied Jesus. We'll see some restoration happen there. And we see the next set of verses is Thomas and his doubting and, and things like that. But what I want you to see here are a group of people who some are fishermen, some are tax collectors, some are just great Jews, some of them are terrible Jews. Some of they were, they were just a group of, of or, as MacArthur says, a group of ordinary men who they were very fearful because the one that they had just followed for three years had died. And we look at that and say, man, the way you, you have little faith. No, the, 
The resurrection hadn't happened yet. Jesus had said that he would resurrect, but they didn't know that he was, he was risen. And, and if they killed him, and then what are they going to do to us? And so they were locked up in fear, like, what are we supposed to do? So that's the context. There's this group of people who had chose to follow Jesus. They had made some mistakes, but they still were unsure about the future. So that's the first thing that they're. The second thing was fear. Fear was there. What are we going to do? How do we continue on? We know these things that he had told us. We know these things that, that, that he's going to send us, just like the Father sent him. But what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to keep going? And then there's somebody else there, and his name is Jesus. You have the disciples there. They didn't know what was next. They were fearful because they hadn't seen Jesus yet. And then, then Jesus shows up, and he speaks peace into their situation. Hey, I want to remind you this morning, this was a news flash for the disciples when Jesus walked through these walls. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus is alive. That he's risen, he's resurrected, he's defeated all things. In the, forever. In the commission that we will read, or that we read, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, is alive and active today because he is alive and active today. He's risen. He walked to the, get the imagery there. They were, fear had them locked up. Image there. And the thing that, you can look at it with Thomas too, the thing that held them captive, what, Jesus just walked straight up in there. Their fear couldn't keep him out. Right, you see the power there. You see the power of Christ there. So the three things that were present, the disciples were there, fear was there, and Jesus there. But I want to show you the three things that were given to them. First of all, peace. He says uh, in verse, 20, uh, for verse 19, peace be with you. Again, in verse 21, peace be with you. Man, isn't a beautiful picture that Jesus, when he speaks peace later on, he says that it's my peace I'm giving you. That he gives a peace that the world doesn't give, that Jesus is resurrected. And he says, here, here is peace. Peace be with you. And check how this peace is connected to the second thing he gave, which was purpose. He said, peace, peace be with you. Now he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Peace was connected to their purpose of God sending them just is Jesus sending them just as God has sent them? He says, you may be confused. You may have made a train wreck of everything that's going on, right? But Jesus says, I'm still sending you. Why? Because what greater picture of God's immeasurable grace and kindness than a group of dudes who just don't have it together yet God says I'm choosing you to help to go seek and save the lost so that whenever you go you can say hey there's this one time that I told Jesus told me I was gonna mess up I said no I'm not and I messed up anyway because I'm a loser and I put my foot in my mouth all the time yet God still saved me it's purpose and the third thing that he gives is his presence. Fear the Holy Spirit. It says, 
peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You cannot disconnect peace from purpose there. Listen to me, I believe a lot of times whenever we're searching for peace, we're seeking for peace, it's because not to be like to coach pep talk is because we can't find our peace because we're not walking in our purpose that God has placed on our life. And that purpose is to go and make disciples. Number three is he gave him his presence through the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, when he had said this, he had breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to talk hey, I thought the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter one. I don't have time to talk about that right now. But what we see is this, is that that they were fearful. They were fearful because of the decisions they made. They were fearful because they didn't know what was going on. Yet Jesus comes in to these 12 or 11 ordinary dudes and said, hey, peace. It's okay. There's peace. I'm risen. There's peace. And here's your purpose. I'm sending you to, to go make disciples. I'm sending you just as the Father sent me. And listen to me. And here's my spirit. Here's the power that you need to do the purpose that I've called you to. Here's the the power that you need, child of God, to go and spread the gospel. He offers his peace. He gives us his purpose and his presence. Listen to me. When the church is gathered His presence is with us. It says, or two or more are gathering. His name, there he is. But I also want to tell you this, child of God, when you go, his presence is still with you. Whatever God's called you to in your workplace, in your family, in your friend group, in your home, listen to me. You are not alone in doing this thing called reaching the lost because you are doing what God has purposed for you to do. And he's also given you his presence to be there with you and to empower you. Hey, why do we need to be gospel driven? Because the gospel reminds me that, hey, this thing that God called me to, listen to me, he called me to it. He's the one that equips me for it. He's the one that enables me to do it. It's not, listen to me, the gospel is not something that I do. The gospel is something that is done. And my response to that done is I want to tell other people about what's been done. I just need to remind somebody, as you are people in places, you may feel like I am all alone in my workplace, and I'm the only believer in my family or where I work. Listen to me. You are not alone. I've got to move forward. So what does that mean? For us as a church, I'm just going to, we talked a little bit about what this summer is going to look like. This summer as we're, and this may even start before summer, we're going to begin to train. We did it some last year of how to share the gospel, how to live sent, how to look and see church is not just something that we invite people, we invite people, but how do I share the gospel out here? Listen to me. I have no doubt that we are good at making connection with people and building relationships. But my desire is that like what, you, like what you're aspiring to is greater than so that I can get them to come to church. But it's that so I can share the gospel with these people. Hey, I, I look forward to the day that whenever 
Ryan isn't the one baptizing somebody, but Jared wins somebody to the Lord and Jared baptizes his friend or his family member. You've like, that's, the, that's, that's what we're getting at here is the, the picture is that, listen, I, my, my hope is that we train in a way not to get to the, to the point and go, all right, will you come to church with me? But it's, which we can do that. We can start there, but it's, hey, let me tell you the good news of the gospel. And there's so many ways in 2021, so many resources in 2021 that are so helpful. That's more than, I remember Brother Troy used to load me up in his truck and give me a back pocket full of tracks when we'd go to Sawmill Square Mall and just walk around and I'd blitz people. Wouldn't talk to them and then, hey, you wanna take this? Hey, you wanna take this? Not talking to nobody. Listen to me, there's, hey, if the, do that if it, like, at least you're sharing the gospel in some form or fashion, right? But there's so many practical ways that I would think us as a church we can help train each other in that direction. We'll mobilize. I talked last week about doing events that are fun. May seem counterintuitive to every direction we're going, but doing events that are fun, why? Because outsiders, let's invite them to those things. Those, those environments that there's not pressure on. And so right now, like I said, we are planning, uh, we've taken the year and looked at kind of every quarter, if you will, to have some type of event. So this coming up is going to be Ascend the Hill. Hey, you want to, you want to, <laughs> you want your friend to see the gospel? Invite them to Ascend the Hill. Give them a piece of paper that they're walking by themselves reading about God's love and what Jesus had done for them. Like, you, like that's the first one. Then we're looking in July to do something with 4th of July where we shoot fireworks and have outdoor. Like, we're, we're tr- like, those things are there. But even more than that, that we get connected with, with ministries even more throughout the community. But here's the one I'm probably most excited about. Someone kind of I guess, I don't know all the answers to this yet, but I'm gonna tell you what our plan is. Is to take our small groups, I told you last week of repurposing things, taking our small groups that are are designed for community, yet commissioning those small groups. And say, the Deloitte small group, we're commissioning you, you are being sent into this part of this community to where God is calling you to reach these people. Taking the Holyfield group, the, that, y'all call it the Anderson group now? What, I don't know what y'all, the Anderson group, the Watts group, the, the Now group, taking these groups and saying, hey, the, the Ho group, we're, we're commissioning you. We're placing the tag. We're laying our hands on you. Just as the Bible, would, we're laying our hands on you and we're asking you, we're commissioning you to be the the, 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 the the messenger and we're going to ask for quarterly or at least two times a year that, that each small group has their own community outreach that they do and the th- last thing that we're going to do is we're going to relaunch D groups and we struggle with D groups a little bit we're still praying through dynamics of that 
But when we relaunch the groups, I think that may be our most effective way of reaching outsiders. Is whenever I think of two or three friends that don't know the Lord, I'm not sure if they don't know the Lord, and I ask them, hey, can we start meeting once a week? Can we start talking about the Bible or this, that, and the other? That may be the most effective way to build the church. Church, I want to remind you this morning, just as the Father has sent Jesus, so now he sends us. Next week, I hope you come back. We're going to take communion together. Our, our COVID-friendly communion finally made it in. It says it has a year shelf life, shelf life so I don't know what it is, but God's going to bless it. Uh, Hey, and I, I ask you to invite your friends next Sunday as we take of the Lord's Supper so they can tangibly see the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to move out of the way. And I'm going to ask you, I've been lazy and I haven't got the altars built yet. I'm still going to do that, I promise. Jeremy and I have the wood. We just haven't done it yet, but I'm going to do it, I promise. And I'm going to invite you I'm going to pray that you don't have to. I'm going to spend some time before the Lord this morning and praying for God to use our church to reach those who don't know the Lord. That he would use each of individual member to reach those around us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you that you have called us and you have sent us. God, there's no higher calling. No greater thing we can do than to be used by you. God, the greatest life we live could be lived for you. Remind us, Father, of the gospel, of its work, the miracle of it. May we repent of apathy or callousness. May we repent of lack of urgency, of sharing this good news. God, I pray for your spirit to move in a great way among your people here at Cross Point, not just here at Cross Point. God, I pray for Life Church as they start with a new pastor, God, that you will bless him and bless them to reach many. God, I pray for Venture and their new church plan. God, I pray for First Baptist. Lord, I pray for churches in Jones County that you will use your church to reach those who do not know you. Oh, but God, I do pray that you use us. I want to be a part of it, God. I pray that you use us to reach those around us. So in Christ's name we pray. Amen.